Alrighty. Good morning, everybody. What a hearty good morning. Love it. Spring is here. We're, wake, we're woken up. We're ready to go. All right. So we are in Isaiah 48 today, which should be on page 773 in the Pew Bible in front of you. Unless the Pew Bible that I grabbed somehow is different from all the rest. 773. <clears throat> so tonight is the 94th Annual Academy Awards um, at 8 p.m. on ABC, otherwise known as the Oscars. Now, for most people, you're like, I don't care. But for movie lovers like me, it's a pretty big deal, right? It's, it's the big climax of the movie season, of the movie year. But it can be kind of frustrating when you see a whole year of movies and then you never hear of the movies that are nominated for Oscars. You're like, where's Spider-Man? Why isn't that nominated? Where's this movie that I saw? Where's that movie that I saw, right? The Oscars can kind of tend to focus on more like artsy or prestigious films, which is fine because a lot of those films are really good and it's good to watch things that we wouldn't normally watch outside of our wheelhouse, right? But a lot of times the Oscars can get it wrong, right? Who really remembers the best picture winners such as The Artist, Ordinary People, Crash, or The English Patient? I've never heard of any of those. We're far more likely to remember The Losers, right? Goodfellas, Star Wars, Saving Private Ryan, Pulp Fiction. Those have all lost best picture. Now, to be fair, a lot of times the Oscars do get it right. Films like The Godfather, Forrest Gump, and Parasite have all won Best Picture. But even though the Oscars a lot of times does get it wrong, and you never hear about the Best Picture winner again until you see it in the bargain bin at Walmart, they still act like they get it right every single time. They still act like this big prestigious award show that their opinion is the only one that matters. Now, this is the state that we kind of find Israel in in our text today. Even though they are God's chosen people, a lot of them are not really acting like it. They are acting out of a sense of entitlement and superiority rather than faith and worship towards God, and it's costing them their peace. Just like the Academy Awards, the Israel does get a lot of things right, but they do get a lot of things wrong. But they act like when they get things wrong, we got it perfect. The frustrating part is when they get things wrong, they act like they don't. There's no humility. Kind of like, you know, a Patriots fan that trash talks the team all season, and then when the Patriots finally win the Super Bowl, they're like, oh, I was always there. I was a supporter from day one. Or, you know, how we can sometimes act like our favorite celebrity or political figure can do no wrong. We stand by every single thing, every single thing that they say and do, even though they're sinners just like us. Or we can act like our country is vastly superior and greater than other countries, even though on worldwide lists, America is towards the middle of lists such as safest countries, best countries to raise a family, happiest countries, or even the way we can act towards customer service workers or the clerk at the grocery store can reveal entitlement and superiority on our part. What we need to remember, and what Israel was taught today in today's text, is that everything we have was given to us by God. 
God is the one who knows everything. Any wisdom or prophecies come from him, not our idols. God is the one who created this world and everything in it. Everything we build, he allows us to. And God is the one who gives us peace in an uncertain future because it is perfectly certain to him. When we realize that and we humbly submit to God and put aside our wickedness, then we have peace. So let's read our text today, Isaiah 48, and let's see in greater detail that the only one who can rightfully act superior and entitled is God. Isaiah 48, starting in verse 1. Hear this, O house of Jacob, who are called by the name of Israel, who come from the waters of Judah, who swear by the name of the Lord and confess the God of Israel, but not in truth or right. For they themselves after the holy city and stay themselves in the Lord of Israel, the Lord of hosts is his name. The former things I declared of old, they went out from my mouth and I announced them. Then suddenly I did them and they came to pass because I know that you are obstinate and your neck is iron sinew and your forehead brass i declared them to you from of old before they came to pass i announced them to you lest you should say my idol did them my carved image and my mental image commanded them you have heard now see all this and will you not declare it from this time forth i announce to you new things hidden things that you have not known they are created now not long ago before today you have never heard of them lest you should say behold i knew them you have never heard you have never known. From of old your ear has not been opened. For I knew that you would surely deal treacherously, that from before birth you were called a rebel. For my name's sake I defer my anger. For the sake of my praise I restrain it for you, that I may not be cut off. Behold, I have refined you, but not as silver. I have tried you in the furnace of affliction. For my own sake, for my own sake I do it. For how shall my name be profaned? My glory I will not give to another. Listen to me, O Jacob, and Israel, whom I have called. I am he. I am the first. I am the last. My hand laid the foundation of the earth. My right hand spread out the heavens. When I call to them, they stand forth together. Assemble, all of you, and listen. Who among them has declared these things? The Lord loves him. He shall perform his purpose in Babylon, and his arms shall be against the Chaldeans. I, even I, have spoken and called him. I have brought him, and he will prosper in this way. Draw near to me, hear this. From the beginning I have not spoken in secret. From the, time, from the time it came to be, I have been there. Now the Lord God has sent me and his spirit. Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, I am the Lord your God, who teaches you to profit, who leads you in the way you should go. Oh, that you had paid attention to my commandments. Then your peace would have been like a river, and your righteousness like the waves of the sea. Your offspring would have been like the sand and your descendants like its grains. Their name would never be cut off or destroyed from before me. Go out from Babylon. Flee from Chaldea. Declare this with a shout of joy. Proclaim it. Send it out to the ends of the earth. Say, the Lord has redeemed his servant Jacob. They did not thirst when he led them through the desert. He made water flow for them from the rock. He split the rock and water gushed out. There is no peace, says the Lord, for the wicked. So our text starts out pretty strongly against Israel. Like how I was saying before, Israel is, enti- is acting entitled and superior, even though they consistently get things wrong. Look at the first two verses again with me. There's, Isaiah starts out by saying, Hear this, O house of Jacob, who are called by the name of Israel, who came from the waters of Judah, 
who swear by the name of the Lord and confess the God of Israel, but not in truth or right. So the prophet Isaiah starts very broad with who he's addressing and then gets more specific. He goes from the nation, which is the house of Jacob, aka like the descendants of Jacob, to those who are specifically called Israel, who are God's chosen people within the house of Jacob, and then finally to those who come from the waters of Judah and those who swear by the name of the Lord but not in truth or right. Now, but before we go any further, there can be some confusion when it comes to Israel, mainly because of current global politics right now. So let's take a look at Israel right now that we're looking at context in the passage. The Jewish people, aka the descendants of Abraham, were chosen by God to be holy and to be a light to the non-Jewish Gentiles, aka the rest of the world. Instead of responding to God's blessings by living in faith and worship, Israel continually sinned and rebelled against God and worshipped false idols instead. The book that we've been studying for the past 47 chapters have all been a warning to Israel to repent and believe, which is also the same message that Jesus gave to them when he arrived. He said, repent and believe the kingdom of God is at hand. Now, the same promise that made the descendants of Abraham into God's holy nation also included a charge to bless the rest of the nations. It's not just, you're holy, have fun, all these other guys, don't worry about them. No, bless the rest of the nations. And so those who believe, who are part of the rest of the nation, the Gentiles, even the non-Jewish ones, have become Abraham's spiritual heirs and therefore part of God's people by faith. That's why the Bible says that we have been adopted as sons, because God's holy nation, his first love was Israel, and then now us non-Jewish people have been adopted in. Now, even though Israel has failed many, many times, God will redeem them. He has not abandoned them, even though they are no longer exclusively his people. Paul writes in Romans 11 that a partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all Israel will be saved, for the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. Now, if we've learned anything from the Old Testament, it's that back then and even today, the nation of Israel is far from perfect and needs to repent and put their faith in God. They need to remember who blessed them. That was true then, and it's true now. So when Isaiah here is referring to those of Israel that claim the name of God, but not in truth or right. He's referring to those who claim to be a part of God's holy nation by right and not by faith. Kind of like some people claiming to be Christian who are just living in the Southern Bible Belt without acting like it at all. Or as Paul put it in Romans again, Paul writes, for no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical. But a Jew is one inwardly, and the circumcision is a matter of the heart, by the spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. So just as there are those today who claim to be a Christian, but yet take advantage of other people, reject God's law, praise their idols instead of God, there are those in Israel who have rejected God to the point where they are not a true part of God's nation. 
Now, even though this book was written to the nation of Israel, its warnings are still relevant to us today as God's people, as Israel's spiritual heirs, as being grafted into the family. Isaiah in our text today says that these people call themselves after the holy city and state themselves on the God of Israel, the Lord of hosts is his name. And it's really interesting that Isaiah uses God's military term here, the Lord of hosts. It's used in such verses as 1 Samuel 17, 45, which says, You come to me with a sword and a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel. Or Proverbs 59, 5, You, Lord God of hosts, are God of Israel. Rouse yourself to punish all the nations. So what Isaiah is saying here is that this is the all-powerful and almighty military God who has won countless military victories and controls the armies of Israel. And yet, people still claim allegiance to him without truth or right. But it gets far more troubling. We see God's warnings start in verses 3 through 8. Let's start with verses 3 through 5. God says, the former things I declared of old, they went out from my mouth and I announced them. Then certainly I did them and they came to pass because I knew that you were obstinate and your neck is an iron sinew and your forehead brass. I declared them to you from of old before they came to pass. I announced them to you lest you should say my idol did them. My carved image and my mental image created them. Now God is making it very, very clear here, right? I announced them, certainly I did them and they came to pass. Very easy cause and effect. God announced history, and then he did it, and it happened. But then God says that because you are obstinate, and your neck is an iron sinew, and your forehead brass, I declare them to you from of old. This is not a very flattering depiction of his audience. Obstinate means stubborn, and an iron neck is one that refuses to bow in submission. It can't bend to bow. And then a brass forehead is like, you know, a thick skull, someone that refuses to change. Basically, like I said before, Israel is being stubborn and prideful, refusing to submit or change, even though the Lord continually tells them what they need to do. And this is not stubborn in the way of, I only submit to God and refuse to let the world change me kind of way. No, it's the... I refuse to even submit to God and I just use his name so I can get away with whatever I want kind of way. Not in truth or right. So because our audience is so stubborn and so prideful, God declares these things of old before they happen so that credit would be attributed to him rather than the idols. So it's kind of like how if you're watching the news and they, the weatherman says it's going to rain tomorrow. And then the next day you check your weather app and it says it's raining. You would give credit to the weatherman for saying it before it happened. You wouldn't say, oh, my app told me it was raining as it was raining. Well, yeah, but the weatherman said it before. And I think we can be that way sometimes too. We conveniently forget God when something he says would happen, happens. We can pray and pray and pray for a new job. And once we get one, we praise ourselves for all great work more than being grateful to the God who we prayed to. 
we can encourage someone's sinful behavior, whether it be drunkenness or inappropriate sexual behavior. And then once they get in trouble for it, we act all blameless and say, hey man, I told you you shouldn't have done that. Or we can read God's desire for us to truly know him and not just blindly obey. We can ignore that, thinking that a life of good deeds is all it takes to get into heaven. And then once we come face to face with Christ, he says, I never knew you. Depart from me, you worker of lawlessness, like he warned in Matthew 7. It always has been and always will be God that has foretold wisdom and taught us how to be. Even some worldly wisdom that we hear the world say on a daily basis has originally come from God, has originally come from the Bible. We hear all the time that love is the greatest force in the universe, just love and it'll be okay. We can clearly see that in verses like 1 Corinthians. So now faith, hope, and love by the greatest of these is love. Or in 1 John when he says we love because he first loved us. Or the golden rule, treat others as you would like to be treated. That comes from Luke 6.31. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. Or even there is no rest for the wicked comes from the end of our passage today in verse 22. There is no peace, says the Lord, for the wicked. And that's why we have verse 16 in our passage today. Draw near to me, hear this. From the beginning I have not spoken in secret. From the time it came to be, I have been there. And now the Lord God has sent me and his spirit. Wisdom has always been there. He hasn't been speaking in secret. His word has been around since the beginning of time. Starting in traditional stories, prophets like Isaiah, letters from apostles like Paul, and his own spirit dwelling within us now if we are his. So whether it be something that you didn't believe and you're now hopping on the bandwagon, or something that you felt was true and never knew that it was from the ultimate truth, the wisdom of God is the foundation of all our worship. And all of our wisdom, not our idols. Social media is not where we get our true wisdom. Online articles is not where we get our true wisdom. Our musings is not where we get our true wisdom. Our true wisdom is from God and it's his written word that stands the test of time and is the ultimate truth. But it's not just the wisdom of old that God has known about and has foretold. It's wisdom of the future too. Starting in the first half of verse 6, sorry, the second half of verse 6, God says, From this time forth I announce to you new things, hidden things that you have not known. They were created now, not long ago. Before today you have never heard of them, lest you should say, Behold, I knew them. You have never heard. You have never known. From before old your ear has never been opened. For I knew that you would surely deal treacherously, and that from before birth you were called a rebel. Now, at this point in our current um, time and process of redemption, we know the whole story of the Bible. We know things that haven't been revealed yet in the book of Isaiah. So we know that these new hidden things that God is referring to here is the process of bringing non-Jewish Gentiles into God's holy nation. And it's true that many back then did not know that this was God's plan, or even the details of his coming as Christ, along with the death, the resurrection, and the coming of his spirit. 
It's clear to us now because we have the entire story, and it was clear to some prophets back then who God revealed it to, but for most of Israel, their stubbornness, their entitlement, their pridefulness made them think that they were the only ones that God could ever love. Imagine thinking that. Imagine letting it hinder you from witnessing to others, telling others God's love for them. That's what's happening with Israel. They think that they are so, I don't know, that they can be the only ones that God can love, even though they constantly mess up again and again and again. But they have a very low view of God and of who God can love and how God can love. The allowance of the entire world into the covenant with God was truly unseen and unknown. Their ears have not been opened to it. That's why God says, I knew that you would surely deal treacherously and that from before birth you were called a rebel. He knew that Israel would continually fail, rebel against him, even that they would turn to their false idols. That's why he revealed the truth through his prophets so that Israel couldn't say that their idols revealed it. And that's why there were some things like his total gospel plan that he hasn't revealed yet. And I think that sometimes we're in the same boat. There are some things like the wisdom that I said before that God has revealed to us in his word and that we cannot say that it was from our idols. We can't say, oh, the, Lord, uh, the world taught me to treat others as I want to be treated when this book written so long ago said it first. There are some things still that God has yet to reveal to us so that we may rely on him and constantly seek him in prayer. Just like how a loving parent doesn't share every single item on the vacation itinerary so that the child can just relax and enjoy. God doesn't reveal everything to us so that we may be where we belong, forever connected to him. Now let's take a look at verses 9 through 11. God says, For my name's sake I defer my anger. For the sake of my praise I restrain it to you that I may not cut you off. Behold, I have refined you, but not as silver. I have tried you in the furnace of affliction. For my own sake, for my own sake, I do it. For how should my name be profaned? My glory I will not give to another. Even though God has given Israel countless blessings and wisdom that they do not deserve, they still continually sin and rebel against him, giving praise and attributing their wisdom and victories instead to literally lifeless idols. Imagine attributing wisdom to something that literally doesn't exist. We would never do that, right? That was a phone if you couldn't tell. I know I have a weird case. They attribute the wisdom of God to something that doesn't exist. They attribute future events and old events to things that don't exist. And yet, God defers his anger. Why? He restrains cutting them off completely. Why? Years and years and years of rebellion. And yet, 
he holds true to his promises of them, that they will be his holy nation still. Why does he do this? He says, for my own sake, for my own sake I do it. For how should my name be profaned? My glory I will not give to another. He does it for his name, for his glory alone. And at first that might sound kind of selfish or dangerous, but this is God that we are talking about. This is the creator of the universe. This is the one who knows all things, who declared all things from of old and declares things that have not yet come to pass. Listen to his own words in verses 12 through 13 of our text today. He says, listen to me, O Jacob and Israel, whom I called. I am he, I am the first, and I am the last. My hand laid the foundation of the earth, and my right hand spread out the heavens. When I call to them, they stand forth together. For all you mothers in the room, it's kind of like when you say, I brought you into this world and I can take you right out. Even though this is God, so, you know, he can actually do it. (laughs) It means it. It's insanely foolish to take credit for another's work, let alone the work of the God of the universe. And God has historically not stood for this kind of behavior. This is not just an empty threat on God's behalf. Listen to what happened to King Herod in Acts 12. On an appointed day, Herod put on his royal robes, took his seat upon the throne, and delivered an oration to the people. And the people were shouting, The voice of a God and not a man! And immediately an angel of the Lord struck him down, because he did not give God the glory. And he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. But the word of God increased and multiplied. Herod needed to remember that he was still a man. Even though he had riches and servants and whatever else a king has, he was still a man and God was still God. No matter how powerful you can become on this earth, no matter how much riches you can obtain, how much influence you have, there are still not legions of angels shouting your praise. And you will still die. It is dangerous to not give God glory for everything in your life because everything in your life was given to you by him. You cannot even take a breath without God's mercy. God struck down King Herod where he stood and yet has the mercy to spare his people like Israel and like us that we may repent and turn back to him. The fact that Israel is not completely wiped off the map and all of its inhabitants thrown into the depths of hell is a massive act of mercy. Because God is keeping his promise to them that he will save them even though they don't hold up their end of the bargain. It's described in the Bible countless times and time again that the church in Israel is an adulterous bride to Christ. That Christ has married them and yet they continually sin against him. God is so much greater than us. He holds up his end of the bargain where we don't. The fact that us here now in this building 
not born into the house of Israel and yet spiritually grafted in by faith is a complete and massive act of God's mercy towards us. The fact that no matter what we've done, we can be forgiven by putting our faith in the Son's sacrifice for us, that we can be completely wiped clean by that sacrifice is completely and massively unbelievable. No wonder so many people have a misconception that Christianity is just following a bunch of rules to get into heaven. Because that's far more believable. But we don't follow a list of rules to get into heaven. We humbly submit to God's law because we have been made holy and therefore already have entrance into heaven. It was nothing of our own doing. It was God who created us, God who made promises to us, God who died for us, God who was resurrected for us, and God who will come back for us. The only part that we have to play in this beautiful story of redemption, the only part that we had to play was the sin that made us damnable. If you are not giving God complete credit for your salvation in Him, then you need to repent and find the idol that is causing this pride and destroy it. Just as God commands His people throughout the book of Isaiah. It was God that did all of it, not us. So honestly, evaluate yourself. Do you have a neck of iron that refuses to submit? Do you refuse to, go, to follow God's command to submit to government authorities or to church leadership? Do you refuse to submit to God's commands in his world, thinking that it's below you? Or do you just find little ways to, you know, sin a little bit? We constantly find ways to find sins that God will tolerate. Oh, I'm not doing that. I'm only doing this. What about your forehead? Is it made of brass? Are you so stubborn in your ways that you cannot even consider another person's opinion or experience, even though they are also made in the image of God and could have wisdom that you don't? What is an, when an opinion of yours is challenged, do you consider evidence or chuck it aside? Do you love others that are different from you or do you mock them? Israel acting out of entitlement and superiority rather than faith and wisdom. Don't make the same mistake. Instead, heed the command given in Colossians 3. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on Love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. And we see that peace is a theme in our remaining uh, verses of our text. So let's read starting in verse 17. Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, I am the Lord your God who teaches you to profit, who leads you in the way you should go. Oh, that you have paid attention to my commands. Then your peace would have been like a river and your righteousness like the waves of the sea. Your offspring would have been like the sand and your descendants like its grains. Their name would never be cut off or destroyed from before me. Go out from Babylon. Flee from Chaldea. 
Declare this with a shout of joy. Proclaim it. Send it out to the end of the earth. Say, the Lord has redeemed his servant Jacob. They did not thirst when he led them through the deserts. He made water flow for them from the rock. He split the rock and water gushed out. There is no peace, says the Lord, for the wicked. Now, what do we see here? We see a very clear description of living in peace with the Lord because of what? We see the effect of living in peace. What's the cause? Cause is verse 18. Oh, that you had paid attention to my commandments. We live in peace when we pay attention and follow his commandments. So let me break this down a little bit. We have obvious commandments like do not murder or do not steal, which can very clearly disrupt peace, right? Anyone read Edgar Allan Poe's The Telltale Heart, right? The amount of guilt when he murdered someone. It's not very peaceful. Or stealing, obviously, can disrupt peace. Or take do not lie, for example. How many of us have been uncomfortable and unpeaceful when we've been caught in a lie or lied to someone else and they found out? All of us, right? Would it have been more awkward to tell the truth? Maybe. Would it have been more peaceful? Definitely. Or take the warnings against sexual immorality. Our hearts are far from peaceful and they are pulled in a hundred different directions because of jealousy or multiple relationships. I think that we can see a common theme throughout all the commands in the Bible, a theme of self-control, specifically controlling our emotions. That's not why they were created, but I'm saying that I see a common theme here. Don't take my word for it. Let's look at a couple examples. We see constant warnings against anger, jealousy, lust, strife, and pridefulness. Take anger. In in Psalm 37, it says, Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself. It tends only to evil. When you're angry, it leads to worrying and things that you will definitely regret. I'm sure that all of us have said or done things that we've regretted when we're angry. Or if you're angry with the current leadership or past leadership in politics in our country, how much stress does that give you, right? Or take jealousy in James 3. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. Those who are jealous not only cause strife in their own life, but in others as well. Long story short, I think it's clear that when God's commandments are followed, personal peace comes. Look at verses 18 and 19 again with me. He says, your peace would have been like a river and your righteousness like the waves of the sea. Your offspring would have been like the sand and your descendants like its grains. Their name would never be cut off or destroyed from before me. So when we see a verse like verse 22 that says there is no peace for the wicked, it's partly because their own wickedness is disrupting their peace. When we lie, cheat, steal, or otherwise act wicked, we are disrupting our own peace and the peace of others by acting selfishly. Just like how a loving parent tells their child to go to sleep so that they will be able to feel rested and function properly the next day, So does following God's commands in the evening bring peace in the morning. But unfortunately, as a lot of us know, the world can still be very wicked. We can follow God's commands all we want, and we can still feel uneasy because there's no peace in this world. 
pandemic, wars, really high gas prices, which honestly, we should be grateful that that's our biggest problem right now as a country. The world can crumble all around us, and yet we can still have peace in our hearts and our souls because our hearts are not divided by anger, lust, jealousy, strife, but are rather in tune with our loving Father who cares for us, and therefore our souls are secure. When we act wicked, it disrupts our peace. Or, as it says in Philippians 4, The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And that's exactly what we see in our final verses, verses 21 and 22. They did not thirst when he led them through the desert. He made water flow from them from the rock. He split the rock and the water gushed out. There is no peace, says the Lord, for the wicked. Even though God's people were in the desert, he provided for them with water from a rock, as told in the story of Exodus. So the world can be following, falling apart completely. You can be wandering through the desert, and yet God knows exactly what you need and will give you peace. Now, don't expect to go into your backyard, find a nice rock, and stick your gas tank into it. It's not going to spit out free gas, no. But know that living water can be found in our spiritual rock, our foundation, Christ. Just as God continually provided for Israel and did not abandon them or turn back on his promises to them, he will not abandon the rest of his people, no matter how bad the world gets. Because remember, he's in control of the world. And while there is no peace for the wicked because they themselves disrupt their own peace by acting wicked, those who act in peace and as peacemakers will be content in the love and blessings of the Lord, knowing that it is all they need. Or, as our Christ said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Now, we've seen in this chapter that Israel was in need of some serious repentance. Even though that they were God's people, they weren't acting like it. They thought that because God had made this promise to them that they could just act however they want. They were acting entitled rather than with wisdom and faith. They did not have peace because their own wickedness was disrupting their peace. That peace comes from trusting in the Lord, obeying his commands, which are for our good and more importantly, his glory. When we cannot control our emotions, we disrupt our peace and the peace of others. The first step that we learn from this passage is to submit to God and his wisdom. To not have an iron neck or a forehead of brass, but to understand that God will not give his glory to another, and yes, that includes you. And that's the way it should be. Once we understand that wisdom has always come from God and God's wisdom is good to be followed, then we can follow his commands and have peace. There is no peace for the wicked because their own wickedness disrupts their peace. Now, it's, it's always a pleasure when I'm writing a sermon and I see these things in our texts and I find them in other places in the Bible and then 
God just provides exactly what I need is just a little section of text that just sums it up perfectly. It's always a huge blessing when that happens. So today that comes from Proverbs 19. Heed these words as we close. Really let them sink in. Write them on your heart. Listen to advice and accept instruction that you may gain wisdom in the future. Many are the plans of a mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. What is desired in a man is steadfast love, and a poor man is better than a liar. For the fear of the Lord leads to life, and whoever has it rests satisfied. He will not be visited by harm. Let's pray together. Lord God, we thank you so much that you are so unlike us. We thank you that you are true. You hold true to your promises. You hold true to us. You love us even when we do not love you back. And even though we are adulterous against you time and time and time again. Lord, we thank you so much for your love and for your mercy. We thank you that we have been grafted in, that we have been adopted as sons and daughters into your holy family. Lord, we pray that you would guide us, that we would follow your commands, that we would not rebel treacherously, but that we would humbly submit to you. Lord, soften our iron neck, destroy our brass forehead. Help us to humbly submit to you in love. In Christ's name we pray, amen.